Amen. Well, again, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, we do want to uh, just encourage you that God has something for you today. And uh, I have to tell Bella that I decided to print my sermon again today. So I don't know. You, I thought I was good until I watched her paper blow away a couple times. And now I'm a little concerned. So, but we'll be all right. Um, this morning, I do want to just encourage you with a statement that I think brings us great hope and great joy. Uh, one that I think will also, in its fullness, uh, cause some of us to kind of scratch our heads and wonder if it's truly uh, or if it's true. And that statement is simply this. The first part of that statement is heaven is real. Amen. Amen. Heaven is real. Now, if you're like me, there's times where God puts you through something. And as a follower of Christ, you kind of look up to heaven and you say, Lord, heaven better be real. Because I just went through this, that, or the other thing, and it's for you and your glory, so I really, really hope heaven is real. And so you know what I mean when I say that. It's kind of one of those moments where you're like, Lord, I, I want to believe that there's something after this. And praise God, there is something after this life. This is not the end. This is not all there is. There's so much more than we can fathom beyond this life. Heaven is real. And I want to ask real quick, uh, everybody has different views of what heaven is like. And there's some things scripture tells us about the throne, around the throne. Uh, very little about heaven, though. And that's the thing that's kind of interesting. Are you seeing that paper below like I am, Deanna? Yeah, let me just tuck that under the Bible a little bit better. There we go. So hopefully that'll be good. But I just want to ask real quick. We'll just take a couple minutes, a couple answers. Uh, somebody tell me, what do you think of when you think of heaven? Give me what you think of when you think of heaven, real quick. Who wants to answer that? What do you think heaven is like? Perfection. Okay, perfection. What else? I'm sorry? Yes, worshiping all the time, worshiping the Savior all the time, okay? Clouds, thank you. I was like, the third answer, we finally got the clouds. Like, clouds is number one, right? Like, big, puffy, white clouds, right? What else? Okay, we think of streets of gold, right? Bright, no sin. Bright, like, just bright, bright light. Yep, no sin. Praise God for that, amen. Free from pain and suffering, Yes. And anyone over the age of 50 said? Okay. I'll be 40 this year, and I'm already like, man, really? That didn't used to pop and crack like that. Where'd that come from? Anybody walk downstairs, down some stairs on your knees? Make that crazy? What is that about? What's going on there? I guess so. Yeah, I guess so. But when we think about heaven, we think of a lot of things, right? We think about, some of us might think about loved ones that have gone on before. And we think about that, that moment we're reunited with them that we get to see loved ones that have already gone on. See, heaven is real. It is a literal place, not merely a state of mind or being. Some say, well, heaven is what you make on earth. Heaven, all these ideas, not bad ideas, but we have all these ideas of what we think heaven's going to be like. But man, when we see it in person, face to face, we see it with our own eyes. That's the moment we're going to see the power and the wonder of his heaven. So heaven is real. And in our world today, if we're being honest, I think everyone wants to go to heaven. Do you think that's true? Everyone wants to go to heaven. And that's, that's good because that shows that people want to have peace after, after this life and they want to believe there's something more. But the reality is, if we look at Jesus' words, not my words, not the Baptist church's words, not this denomination's words, but Jesus' words. If we listen to Jesus' words... I started the statement with heaven is real. And the rest of the statement is, but not for everyone. 
And that's the part of the statement that people in our world today don't like to hear. We don't want to hear that. We don't want to believe that that could be true. But the statement of Christ, and we're going to look at one example of that, is that heaven is real, but not for everyone. Heaven is real, but not for everyone. John 14 and verse 6. Some of you have it memorized. Uh, Very popular passage, familiar passage. We've read it many, many times. John 14, 6. Jesus speaking to his disciples as he's preparing to leave. He says this. Jesus saith unto him. Now notice, it's not my words. It's not your words. It's not culture's words. It's not society's words. It's not political It's Jesus himself is saying this. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. So that's Jesus' way of saying heaven is real. When you read John chapter 14, he opens up and he talks about in verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house. That's heaven. In my Father's house house or dwelling place are many mansions. It says, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. He left them. He left earth and ascended into heaven to prepare a place for those that would come to know Christ. And he says, there's only one way to enter the father's house and that's through Christ. So what is he saying? He says, if it weren't so, I would have told you. I'm not going to lie to you. He's, he's basically, I've not lied to you yet. I've told you everything that's true and everything I've told you has come to be. Heaven is real but not for everyone. Well, that's the part we don't like. Now, some people will say, well, you know what? I don't really care what Jesus said. I don't care about the word of God. I believe what I believe. Well, you have to decide what you believe about who Christ is for yourself. I can't make that decision for you. No one else can make that decision for you. Either he was crazy claiming to be God and was not, claiming to be the son of God and was actually not the son of God, which would just make him either psychotic and crazy trying to gain a following or make him at least a liar, but he's not a good prophet and a good teacher if he claimed to be the son of God and wasn't. But if he was the son of God and claimed to be the son of God, then everything he says is true. And when you look at the weight of scripture and all that Jesus says in scripture and all that happened, not only in his life, but his death, his burial, and his resurrection, we are left with the conclusion either he was insane and the disciples made the whole thing up. He really didn't rise again. It was all a big scam. Or... It's all true. And if it's all true, then what Jesus says in John 14, 6 is, 6 is equally true. If you want to go to the Father's house, you have to go through Christ. No man, no human being comes to the Father but by Christ. Our world, if we're being honest, does not like definitive answers. And that's even more and more prevalent. But for a long time, our world has not liked definitive answers. We want everyone to be right and just get along. We want everyone to write. All truth is equal truth. We want everyone to be right. The only problem with that is if if everyone's right and they all have different truths, then that's not truth. One plus one is not six because you feel like it's six. I went to, I I said this before, I went to Brown City Schools, but I learned that. Okay? Two plus two is four. That's truth. That's an absolute. You can't, your feelings of two plus two equaling something else has no bearing on it. And our world despises definitive answers. Now, I agree 100% that we can and should respect each other, 
even those of differing opinions, views, beliefs. We should respect each other and treat each other with respect and care for one another. But this is where our world has gotten confused. I can 100% respect you as a human being created in the image of God with intrinsic value and worth, not for what you do or what you have or, or who you are in society or the money you have, but just because you were created by God. I can respect you and serve you and care for you while just as much disagreeing with you in regards to who you may think Jesus is based on God's word. And this is where we have to be okay with saying, I respect you and I'll serve you. And man, I I see you as an image of God. You're valuable. But when we go to the word of God and what it says, I believe this is truth. The reality is there's believers under this tent right now that have been saved for a long time. And in your years of being saved, you've read something in scripture you didn't like. You've read something in scripture that you didn't really want to read. And it didn't sit well with you because it meant maybe you'd have to change or do something different or think different or act differently than you wanted to. But we have a choice to make. Do we submit to scripture as authority over us as God's word or do we change it for what we feel is more convenient? Our world doesn't like definitive answers, but Jesus made it abundantly clear that if we want to go to heaven and be with him for eternity, we have to go his way because it's his heaven. The truth is heaven is not for everyone, but it can be. Heaven is not for everyone, but it can be. So who is heaven not for? Who are those that will not enter heaven? Well, the first group, if we're being kind of in a broad sense, looking at a large group of thinkers or the way people think about things, in a general sense, heaven is not for the religious. Heaven is not for the religious. I've heard people say they are good with God because they are religious or spiritual. That's another popular thing to say today. Now, they may not use the word religious or spiritual, but they'll describe things that basically imply religious. They'll say they do good things and they go to church and they pray and they help their neighbor and they give money to the poor and they do all these good things. And they'll say, okay, I'm good with God because I do these religious things. They may not use the word religious, but that's basically what they're saying. The truth is there is no room in heaven for the religious who think they will work their way to God. There's no room in heaven for the religious. Those who think that I get to God by what I do and how good I am. This group, the religious, were actually those that opposed Jesus more than anyone else during his earthly ministry. It was the religious that opposed Jesus vehemently. The the Romans, for the most part, up until the end of his life, Even then, they didn't really want anything to do with it. They were just like, hey, it's not our problem. We're good with him. What does Pilate say over and over again when they brought Jesus to him? I find no fault in him. See, the Romans weren't really too concerned about Jesus. To them, eh, he's not a big deal. He became a big deal as far as his believers in their empire. But at the onset, they didn't really care much about Jesus. Eh, He's kind of a crazy guy. He's just one of those crazy Jews. We'll leave him alone, whatever. It's not bothering us. He's telling people to pay their taxes, so we're good. (laughs) Another one of those things I wish Jesus would have said differently. (laughs) Given to Caesar, what is Caesar's? Really? Mm, Can I just change that? Because I don't like what they do with my money. Well, there's no room for that there. Jesus says, give unto Caesar, what is Caesar's? But see, the religious, the, the ones that wanted to keep control over the people, to keep them doing the good works and keep themselves in power and authority over them. They hated Christ. They hated him and all that he brought. 
It was the religious that truly opposed Jesus more than anyone else. They had allowed their traditions to blind them to the truth of who Jesus was and what he came to accomplish. To be honest, when people tell me that they aren't very religious, I've heard that as well. Well, I'm just not a religious person. I'm just not very religious. I've heard that for years. Meant to be a negative. Most people use that in our culture today as a negative. Well, you know, I'm not very religious. And they kind of put their head down or they kind of feel bad about that. I actually usually encourage them by saying, that's great. Jesus never offered religion anyway. I'm glad you're not religious. I'm glad you're not wrapped up in religion. That's okay because Jesus doesn't want you to be religious. It's okay that you're not religious. It's much more important to understand he offered a relationship. We read it, but in John 14, 3, Jesus' words again, encouraging words, he says this, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. For what purpose? That where I am, there you may be also. It's a relationship. He doesn't want religion. He wants a relationship. Religion can be defined as man's attempt to reach God through works. In a rough sense, the way we're using the word religion, we're talking about those who see religion as a way to work their way to God, whatever that is. Praying five times a day, doing good works, going to church, going in a little box and telling another guy all the stuff he did wrong. Whatever it looks like, it's these things get me to God. Christianity, however, at its core, is all about God through Christ reaching down to us. Christianity has never been about us going to God in our own merit. Christianity at its core is we could never get to God, so God had to come to us in the person of Christ. And praise God that he did. And I know you're thinking, sitting there thinking, well, yeah, pastor, I know this. I was saved when I was a kid. I've been saved for a long time. I honestly believe, as I said a couple weeks ago, we even as believers need to remind ourselves of the power of the gospel daily. Because when I forget the power of the gospel, I start to think it's me doing this stuff. I start to think it's me doing all these things for God's glory, when in reality, reality, it's all by his grace. Jesus described the religious that thought they were good this way. On that day, he says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Man, that sounds like good stuff, but it's a heart of religion, not relationship that's going on here. Jesus says this, he continues, and then will I declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness or iniquity. Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 and 23. You see, they did things in Jesus' name, but never had the relationship with Jesus for themselves. In our day and age, that's like going to church and praying and worshiping and singing all the songs, but in your heart, there's no relationship with him. Yeah, you know the words. You can, you can go to the Bible. You can find a verse. Maybe you went to VBS when you were a kid or Sunday school and, and you memorized some scripture, and that's all good stuff. Here's the thing. All those things are good to do. But if you're doing those things thinking that's going to gain you heaven, that's where we've made the mistake. See, as a follower of Christ, we should be in church. In case you didn't notice, we've got some shirts up here, the praise band. And we're, we brought these out, I think it was last year, the year before we started doing these. And it's not just a t-shirt. I pray that, that, that those wearing those shirts really do love their church, and I believe they do. I love my church. Honestly, guys, I, I could choose to be a lot of places, and I, I don't want to go anywhere else. You could choose to be a lot of other places, but you chose to come here, and I pray it's because you love your church. Going to church is good and needful, 
man, when we miss a service for whatever reason, it's weird to me. Like, I don't even know what's going on. I don't know what day to week it is because I'm just so like, okay, Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday. I look forward to those days every single week, gathering with God's people, just enjoying the presence of God in the church. It's good to go to church. It's good to pray. It's good to do all those things, but it needs to come out of a relationship with Christ, not in an effort to try to gain a relationship with Christ to somehow make God love me more. You see, heaven is not for the religious. Also, heaven is not for the proud. The Bible says that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. James chapter four, verse six. Heaven is not for the proud. When we stand in our pride and arrogance before God and tell him that we are going to heaven, we are fooling ourselves, not God. If you stand before God and say, nope, I don't care what you say. I'm going to go to heaven. I'm, I'm good enough. I'm getting in. I don't really care what your word says. I believe I'm good enough. I'm going to heaven. You know what you're doing? You're trying to trick yourself and convince yourself, but God is in heaven completely unfazed. He doesn't go, oh, okay. I guess I better change everything and let you in. See, we can stand in our pride and we think we're good enough, but the reality is without Christ, we have nothing to offer. Pride is at the core of every sin choice we make. And it's at the core of the first sin in the garden. It's when I declare to God that I don't care what he said, I will do what I want. That's the pride we're talking about. And heaven has no room for that kind of pride. If we think we're going to gain heaven by our own merits, we are fooling ourselves. See, pride is a very common thing we see in our world today. Many people think they can just do it their own way. Jesus says this, Enter you in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads unto life, and few there be that find it. Few there be that find it. What is Jesus saying here? There's a lot of people in our world today that think they're good enough. They think their religion is good enough or that they're just good enough in themselves. They have this pride in them and they think they're going to get in. And Jesus says, that's fine. There's a broad path and many are walking that path thinking they're good in their religion and in their pride. But the truth is that path only leads to one destination. That's destruction. There's a mindset in spiritual thinking today, what we call spirituality, where it's we're all going up the same mountain, just different paths to get there. But when we end this life, we'll all be at the top together. Now, it sounds good. The truth is the Bible doesn't say anything like that. The, the reality is most people in their own pride and arrogance and religion are leading themselves into a path of destruction. But those that receive Christ, as few as they may be in the course of human history, those are the ones that are on that narrow road that leads to heaven, to his house. It's not that anyone's better than anyone. It's just merely we've made a choice to receive Christ. You see, the road of pride is a wide road filled with people doing it their own way. But that road leads not to life eternal, but to destruction. So heaven is not for the religious or the proud. And I know this is a super encouraging message, right? You're like, man, I'm so glad I came to church today. This is awesome. I feel really good about myself right now. But let me tell you something. We're so thankful for the fact that there is a group of people that heaven is for. There are those that will enter his heaven. See, heaven is for the humble. Heaven is for the humble. James chapter 4, verse 6, the verse I quoted before is key. Not only he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
You see, the reality is we desperately need his grace. When we realize we have no hope in ourselves because we cannot save ourselves with works or religion, we are humbled and in a very good way, willing to look beyond ourselves to someone that can save. See, when we realize our limitations in ourselves, that we can't get there by religion, we're not good enough, our pride has gotten us nothing but falsehoods, we humble ourselves, we lower ourselves, and we understand, no, 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 I need someone outside of me to change the situation. I need somebody outside of me to fix the situation, to save me, to rescue me. Grace has been described in many ways, but I love thinking it as God's giving to me what I could never deserve or ever earn. God's grace to you is not based on you and what you do for God. God's grace to you is a free gift. He's saying here, you can't earn it. You can't deserve it. I'm just giving it to you freely. And here's the thing. Anyone can receive it. It doesn't matter whether you used to be religious or you've never been religious, where you thought you were something or you've always thought you were nothing. It doesn't matter where you're at in society, how much money's in the bank account, what you're wearing, what you're driving, what you're living in. It doesn't mean anything. Grace is extended to all of humanity. Anyone can receive that grace, humble themselves and say, no, I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. You see, heaven is for the humble. We must humble ourselves and recognize who God is and who we are. And I think the next description of those that will enter heaven will hit every one of us under this tent. You see, Jesus said, not only is heaven for the humble, it is also for the sinner. Go over to Luke, Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. Another familiar verse here. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Simple verse, smaller verse, if you will, but so powerful. Listen to what he says here in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. For the Son of Man is, to come, is come to seek and to save that which is lost. For the Son of Man, that's Jesus Christ, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus said that his mission in coming to this world was twofold. There's two uh, main purposes, he says, why he came to this world. Now, he did many things while he was on this world, or in this world, on this planet. Many things, many miracles and amazing things that he, he did right before the eyes of the disciples to increase their faith, to bless those that received the blessing of the miracle, to affirm his very deity. It's amazing how many things Jesus did in just three and a half years of ministry. And John says, we couldn't write down all the things that he did just in that short time. And we read these great miracles, these great moments, these great teachings. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and ends in chapter 7. That sermon to this day is still considered one of the most dynamic, thought-provoking, powerful sermons ever written. It's amazing the things that Jesus did. Why did he do all that he did? If you had to summarize it into two key points, here it is. For the Son of Man has come, has come where? He's come here to this world. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life and began his ministry. He's come to seek and to save that which was lost. 
to seek after us. He sought after us. That's humbling in and of itself. We, we can't stand in pride and say, I went to Jesus. No, no, no. He came to you. Now you might say, but I believed. I received him. And I know what you mean when you say that. When I was 16 years old at Camp Chautauqua in Miamisburg, Ohio, I received Christ. As, as a teenager that didn't know anything about the Bible, did not grow up in a Christian home, we were kind of the anti-Christian home. Parents that were just worldly that beyond belief, a mom who was an alcoholic for many, many years, would go on three and four day binges, just get as hammered as she could. And then when she wasn't at the bar drinking, she was at the bar tending. My stepdad, who was a good guy, tried to do the right thing, worked real hard, but wasn't really religious, didn't really teach us anything like that, grew up in a very staunch Catholic background, hated God, hated the Bible. But when I was invited to go to teen camp, he saw it as an opportunity for me to get some good influences. That's what he said. Well, it's Christian camp. That's good. That's better than staying home and getting into trouble. So he sent me to camp. Best decision he could have ever made. Best decision I could have ever made. And when I got to camp and I realized it wasn't about me, it wasn't about what I thought, it was about realizing who God is, and that he sought after me. See, that's the reality. That's the power of this. He came for you. Now, you might not think you're worth a whole lot, but you're worth enough that he came for you. He sees you as valuable. I don't care what you've done in your past. I don't care what you did yesterday or this morning. He says, no, I came for you, that you would know him. We were blinded by our sin and pride. And Jesus came to this world looking for us. He initiated the whole thing. Yes, we received the gift that he gives us, but he came and offered the gift for us to receive it. If he never came, we would be stuck in our sin. So we needed him to seek after us and we needed him to save us. You see, he redeems us from the power and penalty of sin. He saves us from hell and ourselves. He alone is the rescuer, the one that comes and saves us. And I always have this image in my mind when I think about him saving us. I imagine somebody drowning. You guys ever watch these shows where they go out, the lifeguards go out and they do these rescues and things like this? It's amazing to me that the, the person rescuing that person, they may not even know them. They don't know their past. They don't know who they are. But they put everything on the line because that person is in that moment valuable enough to save. And they'll do whatever is necessary to save that person. And that's what I picture when Christ came to me the only difference is he knew all my faults, all my weaknesses, all my sin, past, present, and future. He knew that even as a believer, I'd be a disobedient child. And he still extends his arms down, pulls me out of the water, drowning in sin and shame and wickedness. And he pulls me up and he calls me his own. Not because I was worth saving in the way of being righteous that I had done all these good things. No, no, no. I was worth saving because I was his creation and he loved me that much. He said, I'll save you if you'll ask. If you'll, if you'll receive the gift that I'm giving you. See, he, he calls to us that are sinners. When we realize our sin, we, which we all have committed, we will then be open to receive the amazing gift of salvation. Unfortunately, some Christians have begun to believe their sin wasn't all that bad and look down on those who are equally just as much a sinner that they just don't know Christ. So the believer looks at the unbeliever and says, well, I'm better than you. I mean, your sin is way worse than my sin ever was. Oh, Christian, that we would not forget what we were saved from 
And instead of looking down on others in judgment and condemnation, let's be the messenger of Christ and extend a hand of rescue and connect them with the one that can save them. You see, sometimes I think as Christians, we are saved, but we start acting more like the religious than those that have a relationship. You see, heaven is for the sinner that has repented, turned from their sin, and trusted in Christ as Savior. Heaven is for the sinner that has repented. It is not for the religious or the proud, but for the humble sinner that falls before God and asks for grace. I wanted to read a a quote from Charles Spurgeon. I love this. He says, My evidence that I am saved does not lie in the fact that I preach or that I do this or that. Now, Spurgeon was a preacher, so he's saying his Christian service. He's saying the evidence that I am saved does not lie in the fact that I preach or that I do this or that to the Christian here or to one that is trying to be religious. Your salvation and the evidence of that is not in what you do for God. He says this, all my hope lies in this, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. I am a sinner. I trust him. Then he came to save me and I am saved. Man, I love the power of the simplicity of that. He says, this is my hope and all that I trust in, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. I am a sinner. I trust him. Then he came to save me, and I am saved. See, that's the power of salvation. Heaven is not for the proud and the religious, but heaven is for the humble sinner who says, I need you. So my question to us this morning before we pray You don't need to answer out loud, but just for yourself to consider these questions. Whether you're a young person here, we've got the the junior church kids in here, elementary age, some uh, teens in here. I want you really to spend a few moments thinking through this. No matter your age, you can make a choice right now for where you want to spend eternity. I always get discouraged when I see people treat students and teens and kids like second class, like, well, they're the church of tomorrow. No, they're the church of today. And I've seen in church history, or read rather, seen seen things recorded in church history of young people that have radically shaped the church and the direction of the church that were just on fire for Jesus Christ. That refused to let culture, society, popularity, or others damper their fire for Christ. And they said, you know what? It may cost me something, but what I have in Christ is worth everything. So I'm going to keep my eyes on him. And I'm just going to tell you, if you're a student here today, you've got a, a hard road ahead of you if you commit to follow Christ every day. People will look down on you, condemn you, criticize you, call you names. But the question we have to ask ourselves, if he saved you and you know who you are in Christ, then it doesn't matter. We keep our eyes on him. We keep moving forward. So my question to all of us today is, are you going to heaven when you leave this world? The truth is the choice is yours. If you are trusting in religion or your prideful good works to get you there, you will be shocked by Jesus's words when you see him face to face and he says, I never knew you. However, if you trust Christ, not religion, but a person, and admit you have sinned, as we all have, myself included, receiving his forgiveness of sins and know for a fact you will spend eternity with him, you will be saved. So I want to ask you this, this afternoon as we get ready to pray. Have you trusted Christ? I know it's warm out. I know the bugs are kind of around the feet. I think something bit me 10 minutes ago. I don't really know. Starting to get kind of itchy on my thigh or on my calf. I don't really know. A little scared to look, okay? I I know it's a little different today, but please listen to me. The whole reason we gather today is to make him known. 
and to worship him. It's about, do you know Christ? And if you do know Christ, man, praise God that when you leave this world, you'll be with him in heaven forever, not because of you, but because of him and his finished work of the cross. And so as a follower of Christ, you know Christ, you're going to heaven, great. So what are you doing between now and that moment when you leave this world and see him to encourage as many people as possible to follow you as you follow Christ? What I mean is encourage people to say, let's get on the same road together. Let's keep our eyes on Christ. Are you living an outwardly expressing Christian life? Are you just freely expressing Christ to all those around you? Are you just open and saying, look, I don't care who knows. Man, Jesus died for me. I'm going to heaven because of him. And I want as many people to know that as possible. Yeah, the criticism will come. You might get called names. You might be uncomfortable. You might lose a friendship. There might come a day where you might lose your job. You might lose other things. Who knows? But will we stand for Christ no matter what? Because he died for us, for me, for you. Do you know Christ? Are you living for him? Because you know you've been saved from so many, I should say from such a great sin. So many things that could, that you just don't want to think about. And he saved you from those. Also, let me ask this. Are you here and you don't know Christ? Maybe you were invited. Maybe you come to church here all the time. Maybe you've been in church your whole life. Maybe everyone else thinks you're a Christian. Everyone else thinks you're good because you look the part, you say the right things, you, whatever. I've said it before, but I'll never forget the time. And I'll share this. I don't think he'd be embarrassed to share this, that Randy Johnson came up to me after a Sunday morning service, after attending our church for years. I thought he was a Christian. He just seemed like, you know, he knew the part. And he came up to me one Sunday morning. He said, I got to stop playing the game. I need to receive Christ. An older gentleman. This was not that, this was like maybe 10 years ago. So we're not talking like in his 20s or 30s. We're talking 10 years ago. He came up to me and I said, well, let's just pray. You can ask Christ to save you right now. You can just bow your head and pray. And he looked at me and it was so humbling in one way and also kind of, shameful in another. He said, I, I don't know how to pray. I mean, I take prayer for granted so often. And he looks at me and says, I honestly don't even know how to pray. So we prayed together and he received Christ and he picked up his head. He said, I need to get dunked now, right? I said, yeah, we can do that. Let's do that and get you baptized. See, there's not, there's not a point where you're too old. And if you understand the truth of sin and what Christ did for you, then you're not too young. And you can just cry out to him and say, God, I need you. Forgive me of my sins. Maybe you've been burned by a church, burned by another believer, lied to, treated in a bad way by a Christian. I'm sorry for that. I genuinely am. But don't let the imperfection of a Christian change the fact that Christ is perfect and loves you and wants to know you. And so whatever God is doing today, I pray that you would just either come to know him or make a decision today to say, you know what, I'm going to live differently for Christ starting today. To the students here and the kids in here, maybe this school year when you get back to school and you're in those hallways again, you're going to say, you know what, I'm living for Jesus. Whatever it is, maybe in your home, maybe you're a believer in your home and you want to fire up your family, you be the catalyst of change. Don't wait for them, you start it. Whatever it is, I just pray that we respond to what God is doing. Let's pray as the band comes and leads us in a song of imitation. Father, we thank you so much for today. Lord, I thank you that heaven is not for the religious. Heaven is not for the proud. But heaven is for a humble sinner like me that has called out to you and asked you to save, redeem, 
I ask you to forgive me of my sins, Lord. And believing that you died on the cross for my sins, repenting and turning from those sins and trusting you in all things, Lord, you saved me. You redeemed me for eternity. That one day I'll leave this world and stand before you, not in my good works, but in your finished work on the cross. Thank you for your grace, which is offered freely to all who would receive. Lord Jesus, your words are clear. Heaven is not for everyone, but it can be if we would trust you and turn from our sins. And so, Father, I know this morning it's a little different service, Lord, but I pray that you would work in the hearts and minds of these that have gathered. For the Christian, that we would know that we've been saved by you and your work alone and that that would inspire us and encourage us to go out and let others know that they can know you, to live differently for you, for your glory. Father, for the one here today or more that doesn't know you as Savior, maybe they've been playing church a long time. They just know the right things to say. They know what to do. Father, I pray that you would just pierce their heart and open their mind to the reality of their sin and the availability of grace and forgiveness. You would draw them unto repentance, that they would turn from their sin and trust in you. Thank you, Father, for your amazing grace. We deserve hell, but you give us the gift of salvation and call us unto heaven. And so, Father, work as only you can. Holy Spirit, you knew every person that would be sitting here this morning before eternity be, or before the world began. And so I pray that you would help them to know you as you've been working already in their hearts and minds. Thank you, Father, for all that you're doing. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as these guys lead us in a song of invitation? Would you just right there in your seats, I know you can't really come forward, but right there in your seats, would you just respond to what God is doing this morning?